Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Meet Stacy. She's been dealing with hair loss for several years and is at her wit's end. It started as more of a shedding after she decided to get off the birth control pill, but then it just never stopped and has gone progressively worse. Now she's noticing her part is wider, her ends are much more brittle and way thinner as well. She used to love wearing her hair down, but now all she could do is wear it in the bun because it just looks so thin to her otherwise. Can anyone relate to this? I know I've been there in the past, so I definitely understood what she was going through. Of course, the more she stresses about it, the worse it would get. She tried all types of hair vitamins, but no change. She saw a dermatologist who looked at her scalp, but didn't see anything wrong. So then she saw another dermatologist and he recommended a laser treatment, but he didn't give her any reason as to why this was happening. So that didn't really sit well with her. She saw her gynecologist who ran some blood work and didn't see much. So then he recommended that she go back on a birth control pill. She wanted no part of that since everything started around the time she got off the pill in the first place. Plus, she wanted to have more children in the near future, so it really wasn't a good option for her. She was at a loss, and that's when she came to see me. After reviewing her previous results and health history, I saw that she had a lot of stress in her life. And additionally, when I looked at all of her previous results, I saw that much of the blood work she had already done was really, really basic and didn't include many of the necessary markers. So we had our work cut out for us and needed to look into everything to solve this health mystery. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about Stacy and her struggles with hair loss. Joining me on the show today to talk more about this is Dr. Deborah Matthew. I actually had Dr. Deb on a few months back talking about the adrenal glands and I got a ton of great feedback and knowing that hair loss is another one of her specialties, I wanted to have her back. I loved how, like me, she takes complicated concepts and really breaks it down into simple to understand stories and terms and analogies and it really makes learning fun. And for those of you that may not know Dr. Deb, Dr. Deborah Matthew is a functional medicine physician author, speaker, wife, and mom of four boys. Her quest to resolve her own health issues led her to change everything about how she practices medicine. Instead of treating diseases with drugs that often just put a bandaid on symptoms, she helps her patients resolve the root cause of their health issues so they can get well, get off prescription drugs, and love the way they feel. Dr. Deb, so great to have you back. Hey, well, I'm so happy to be back. So hair loss is an issue that affects so many people and can bring with it a ton of stress and frustration. I know that you work with many women experiencing hair loss. How common is this problem? You know, I didn't really realize how common it is, but 40% of women experience hair loss by the age of 40. And by the age of 65, between 50 and 75% of women notice thinning hair. So this is really, really common. 
Mm, yeah, I didn't realize it was that common either. You know, and I know for those that have never experienced hair loss, it may not be something that they really truly understand. But when people do go through it, it's really, really distressing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. You know, as women, our appearance matters, no matter how, you know, modern we are. And we know that there's so much more to us than our appearance. But nonetheless, our hair really is one of the first things that people see. And when we have a problem, it is extremely upsetting to women. You know, we don't like wrinkles, we don't like pimples, but we kind of have tools. We kind of know what to do when we suffer with those issues. Whereas with hair loss, there's not, it doesn't seem like there's very much that can be done about it. And so it seems that the first place our mind goes is that, you know, if it continues at this rate, I'm going to be bald. And what I saw in my office is that women would come in to talk to me about their hair loss in tears. I mean, they were so upset. A lot of women would bring in like a Ziploc baggie with the hair that they collected from the shower because they wanted to make sure that I understood just how bad it really was. And they're scared, you know, that I was just going to brush them off and blow them off, that it wasn't really a big deal. When to them, this was really a crisis. And so this is one of the things that I saw as really devastating to women. And when I was at medical school, you know, I wasn't really given tools for how to fix it. So this experience of of having to face these women in tears is what really led me to go out there and figure out what does cause hair loss for women and what can we do about it? Yeah, for sure. And I definitely can understand that because I have the same thing. People come to me with little baggies of hair and you know they're always showing me their part and pictures from 10 years ago or five years ago. You know, it really is a big deal. And you're right. You know, I think conventional treatments don't really tend to get to the root. And what makes it harder is that hair loss can have so many underlying causes. So let's get into the nitty gritty about some of the main culprits and then what people can do, the tests that are out there and what we could do about them. Let's start off with nutritional issues. You know, your hair is very metabolically active, right? It's always growing, growing, growing. And that takes a lot of energy and a lot of nutrients to build these hairs. If you are nutritionally depleted, if you are missing certain important nutrients, that can impact your body's ability to grow hair. And you may find that you shed hair at an accelerated rate. So some of the nutrients that are the most common ones that we see issues with is iron. Women often can become iron deficient. You know, if you have heavy periods or if you are a vegetarian, there are a number of different reasons. Or if you have digestive health issues, which we're going to talk about in a second, um, it can be hard to digest and absorb some of these nutrients. So iron deficiency is one of the causes of hair loss. Another one is zinc deficiency. So zinc is another important mineral. It's important for our immune system. And if you are deficient in zinc, that's another cause for hair loss. And some of the B vitamins as well, especially things like B6, B12, and biotin, which is one of the B vitamins that's really important for hair and nails. So if you have hair loss, one of the things that we can do to evaluate why you're losing hair, can be to look at some of these nutrient levels. And of course, there's lots of other nutrient levels that could be looked at, but those are some of the most common ones. And then replenish your nutrient levels in order to try to make things better. And even if you don't have access to some of those lab tests, um, starting on a, a good quality multivitamin, not something junky from the grocery store, but a good quality multivitamin is a reasonable place at least to start. Now, in terms of tests, you know, if someone does want to test their iron, do you typically recommend a blood test or are there any more functional tests that you like instead? So for iron, the test that I usually do is a ferritin level. And ferritin is a marker for your iron stores. So typically what happens is initially your iron stores will get depleted, but your blood iron level will still stay okay. And it's not until you get quite on far down the line that your blood iron level will drop and eventually you become anemic. So typically what's done at the regular doctor's office is a blood count, looking at your hemoglobin and hematocrit level to see if you're anemic. If you are anemic, you're far on down the line with having problems. A ferritin level can give us much earlier warning. And what I'm looking for is an optimal ferritin level between about 80 and 100. 
but most women land quite a bit lower than that. Yeah, I don't see 80 very often at all. Yeah. So if we look at the normal range and you can see that you're down in the basement end of the normal range, then that may not be enough. And so we may want to bump up your iron stores a little bit better. And what about B vitamins? Do you find that people can look at that through a regular blood test or do you like to look at organic acid or um, some other type of like micronutrient testing for that? We can look at just a regular serum level. And for example, for vitamin B12, if your blood level of B12 is low, that helps us understand that you're not doing a good job of digesting and absorbing it from your diet. But it doesn't really tell us whether your body's able to use it properly. So there are other lab tests that can look inside your cells. Um, So that would be a functional intracellular micronutrient analysis that can look at how much B12 is inside your cells or the other B vitamins. Um, We can also look at organic acid tests, and that gives us a better understanding of how well your B12 level is working or your folate is working. So I would more commonly look at an organic acid test in somebody who has digestive symptoms. So let's move on. That would be our next cause is if your gut's not healthy, then you can't properly digest and absorb your nutrients, um, and that's another cause for hair loss. And so here, when we're going to be evaluating if for digestive symptoms, an organic acid test can talk to tell us about some of these nutrient levels and also about your gut microbiome. So it looks at markers for yeast and bacteria to help us understand if there's an imbalance there that may be contributing to your hair loss. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think so many people like to take vitamins and think, okay, well, I take this much B12 or I take, you know, this much bites and so I should be okay. But we don't often think, well, how are we actually absorbing it? How are we utilizing? What is our body doing with it after we take it? And of course, there's different types as well. So that's really helpful to look at gut. And do you ever do stool testing for gut or is it typically organic acids? It depends on the symptoms, but yes, I definitely do stool testing. So for somebody who has a lot of digestive symptoms, they've been longstanding, I would probably start with a stool test. And for somebody where it's more bloating or it's newer, hasn't been going on for quite as long, I might start off with an organic acid test. So either way is fine. Sometimes we do both. But I think that it is important to say that if you march into your you know, gynecologist or primary care doctor's office, you probably could successfully ask for a ferritin level and an iron level, a blood iron level. You, you may be able to get a B12 level done But these tests that we're talking about are not something that's going to be done at your regular doctor's office. That's where you would really need a functional medicine practitioner to help you out. So we have the nutritional deficiencies. We have gut health. Um, What are some other causes? So one of the most common ones that we see is due to stress. And it's got a specific fancy name, which is called telogen effluvium. And what happens is, some kind of stressor hits you. And it can be an emotional stress, like you're real busy, you're studying for exams. It can be a physiologic stress, like you just have a baby or you get the flu or you have some kind of surgery. But something happens to your body that's very stressful to your system and the hairs stop growing temporarily because of the stress. And then a few months later, like typically three or four months down the line, now things pick back up again and all of a sudden tons of hairs start to shed. And that's when you see the hair all over the bathroom floor and it's in your brush. And when you shampoo your hair, you get this handful of hair afterwards um, and it is really distressing. So I see a lot of women who will come in and say, you know, In the last month, my hair is just falling out everywhere. And when I hear that, it actually makes me feel better. Because if they were perfectly fine like six weeks ago, and now it's shedding everywhere, I have a pretty good guess that that's the problem. Something happened a few months ago that they've already long forgotten about, or or they're not making the connection because three months ago their hair didn't fall out. Right. At least if that's the case, we can kind of um, reassure that it's going to fall out for a little while, it's going to slow down, and really importantly, it's going to grow back. And so it's not really necessary to spend a lot of money on lab tests or fancy vitamins, etc. So if you know that you had your appendix out or if you just had a baby or whatever a few months ago, it's probably going to be self-limited. Okay. Now, 
sometimes people have chronic stress. And so it's not just a one-time thing, it's ongoing. And this affects cortisol, which is our main stress hormone. And when your body is under chronic stress, it has to make some decisions. It has to decide where it's going to allocate resources. And, you know, your hair is not really a top priority when you think about staying alive. And so oftentimes your hair is one of the places where your body skimps on resources. And so when you have chronic stress, you may notice sort of a chronic ongoing hair loss. And um, this is another really common thing. And we can measure cortisol levels to understand if this is a problem for you. And you probably have more things than just hair loss, fatigue, difficulty coping with stress. Um, you know, it can affect your mood and your quality of sleep and all sorts of other things too. But that's another really common one would be adrenal problems because your adrenal glands make cortisol, um, adrenal problems due to chronic stress. Mm -hmm. You know, and what I see a lot of times is when people have some type of a life stressor that creates this sort of temporary shedding that you explained, but that in itself is going to stress them out so much that then that can raise cortisol. So it's like this vicious cycle, you know, that keeps going. That's right. And there are things that can be done to help if chronic stress is part of the problem. So if you can escape the stress, that's great. If you can simplify and reduce your stress, that's obviously the first choice. Um, but there are things that you can do to bring balance. So things like meditation and laughter and going outside for a walk and petting your dog. So things that trigger the relaxation response can help to bring down stress levels. And you know, over time, that can help to get the hair problem to, to calm down. And typically, if it is due to some type of a stressor, like you said, infection or surgery, how long does the process take of the stopping of the growth, the shedding, and then the regrowing? So usually people start to notice the shedding around three months later. And the shedding can go on for you know four to six weeks, which feels like forever when your hair is coming out. Mm -hmm. And then it gradually slows down so that you notice that it has kind of stopped falling out everywhere probably, you know, after a couple of months. So you notice the hair loss um, coming for a while. It, it slows down after four to six weeks, but still sheds for, you know, probably a total of a couple of months. And then the growing back in part is painfully slow, right? Hair grows very slowly. And so a lot of women will complain that their ponytail is so much thinner. Um, you know, their part is wider. And, and that's very real. I mean, sometimes a lot of hair can be lost. But it is important to know that when women are stressed, yes, your ponytail can be thinner. Yes, the hair can be everywhere. But you won't go bald from this. And it will grow back. And I think the feeling that reassurance mm -hmm. is really important because it's scary. For sure. Now, what about hormones? Another really common one. So when we have a shift in our hormones, that can trigger hair loss. So... Um, when women have, you know, give birth, for example, there's massive shifts in our hormones. Um, and that's part of what triggers the hair loss. But when women are going through menopause or the perimenopausal time in their life, those kinds of hormone shifts can cause hair loss. There's a lot of problems with hormones, a lot of different kinds of hormone imbalances that can go on. And maybe let's talk about them sort of individually here. So one of the hormone issues that can cause hair loss is actually the use of birth control pills. So sometimes if women start on birth control pills, that creates a shift in their hormones because now their, their natural hormones are being replaced with what's in the birth control pill. And the birth control pill itself can trigger hair loss. Another thing that can happen is if you're on birth control pills for some period of time and then you stop the birth control pills, that's a hormone change again. And so sometimes women will notice that when they stop the birth control pills, you know, a little bit later, their hair starts to shed. And it's just because of the change in hormones. So if you are on birth control pills and you're having trouble with hair loss, one of the things to think about is, do you really need to be on birth control pills? Is there another option for birth control for you? Um, because coming off the pills could help with your hair loss. And speaking of birth control, if someone wants to get off, but they're afraid that they may experience hair loss, is there anything that you can recommend as they're trying to get off to maybe just help to support that shift or just to make that shift not as harsh? 
Well, making sure that they're doing the other things, so managing stress and getting healthy nutrition is really important. There are some herbal supplements that can help with hormone balance, things like chase tree extract, for example. But I I guess typically, I would just reassure women that when they come off birth control, if they do see some shedding, it's going to be temporary. The hair is going to grow back. It's not going to cause any major problems. It's not going to be a severe medical issue. And, and I would mostly just say reassurance. Yeah, which helps a lot with stress, which is one of the big triggers, of course. Yeah. I sometimes find the people that tend to have the most issues getting off the pill are the people who are already prone to estrogen dominance. And then the pill creates more of that. So in those situations, sometimes, you know, doing calcium deglucarate can help a little bit, even if it's just for a couple of weeks, if they're getting off, it sometimes can, you know, I mean, the hair, I think may do its thing anyway, but it might just help a little. Also with some of the issues people can have with insomnia, sometimes as they get off, I find that that can be helpful at times. Yeah. So let's talk about another hormone imbalance that's a really serious problem. So up till now, we've talked about things that they're self-limited and, you know, that's going to go away all by itself. But a bigger problem is PCOS, which stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. And this is a a constellation of hormone issues where women end up making relatively more of the androgen hormones, which would be like testosterone or DHEA, which is one that comes from the adrenal glands. And they make relatively too much of those androgen hormones, and also they don't use insulin properly. So now they have blood sugar issues, and insulin will go up because their cells aren't using it properly. They'll make more and more insulin in order to try to help regulate their blood sugar. And when the insulin goes up, that triggers the testosterone to go up. And when the testosterone goes up, that triggers the insulin to go up. So these two problems kind of feed each other. And some of the side, some of the, the fallout from these hormone imbalances is weight gain and acne and hair growing where we don't want it. So hair growing on the face and the chest, for example. But another really significant problem can be hair loss. And specifically, it tends to be hair loss in the frontal areas and on the crown of the head. And it can start relatively young. So, you know, even in our 20s, women can already be noticing signs of hair loss. And this kind of hair loss is a much bigger problem because this is something that can be progressive. It can get quite severe to the point where the scalp really shows. And so this is something where we would really like to make that diagnosis so that we can jump in and try to get the hormones balanced in order to try to minimize the hair loss before it gets to be something that's really serious. And PCOS is actually very common. In fact, it's estimated that about one in 10 women has PCOS. And so if you have the classic symptoms, if you have irregular periods, that's a really classic symptom. If you are overweight and really struggle with your weight, if you struggle with acne and you struggle with hair growing in the wrong places, you are much more likely to get diagnosed. But what I see happening a lot is teenagers who have PCOS have irregular periods. And so very quickly, we stick them on birth control pills. And the birth control pills are meant to regulate the periods. And the good thing that the birth control pills do is they do regulate the periods. They can minimize, in a lot of cases, they can minimize the acne and the hair growing in the wrong places. So it's not that it's a terrible thing but then they don't really get the proper diagnosis. And so they go through their life, they're on the birth control pill, the birth control pill much of the time creates a period, so they think everything is okay, then they stop the birth control in order to become pregnant, and now they find out that there's a problem because they don't have a regular period. So PCOS is common. Not everybody has weight problems, not everybody has acne, but irregular periods are a common thing, and hair loss is another issue that we would really like to, to diagnose early so that we can get to work on the hormones and try to stop the hair loss. Mm-hmm. So what are some tests that people can do to see if they have PCOS if, let's say, they suspect it because they have irregular periods or some of those other symptoms? If you go to your regular gynecologist, what they can do is they can measure two hormones called LH and FSH, so luteinizing hormone and 
follicular hormone. And these two hormones, um, or FSH, follicle stimulating hormone, these two hormones regulate your menstrual cycle. So they, they um, get things moving. If you're not having a regular menstrual cycle, your gynecologist can measure these two hormones. And if your LH is higher than your FSH, that's a sign that things aren't working the way that they need to. And that's a clue that you may have PCOS. Um, that's kind of the typical way. And then we look at your symptoms to make the diagnosis. Functional practitioners have even more tests that we do because we can do things like a saliva test or a urine test where we get you to do to give a sample every day over an entire menstrual cycle so that we can look whether your menstrual cycle is, you know, because the hormones are supposed to go up and down and through the cycle. So we can look to see if if you're having a surge in estrogen around the time of ovulation, we can see if your progesterone levels go up after ovulation, which helps us to understand whether or not you are ovulating. So we can look at your androgen hormones. Your gynecologist may be willing to measure your testosterone level, um, but, but there are more androgen hormones that can be measured. So also we want to look at not just your fasting blood sugar level, but also your fasting insulin level. Um, because it's really the insulin hormone that's the problem, and it has to go a little bit far astray before your blood sugar will start to go up. And another blood sugar one that's helpful is called hemoglobin A1C, and that's kind of the average of your blood sugar over the last three months. So those are all hormones that can kind of give us an understanding of what's going on in case of PCOS. And one more that I like to do is called dihydrotestosterone, or DHT. And this is made out of testosterone, and it is about three times as strong as testosterone. So some women, naturally, when we look at their hormone patterns, they make testosterone, but then they flip too much of it over into dihydrotestosterone, which is stronger and is bound to cause more problems. And in a urine test, we can look at how your body metabolizes these different androgen hormones to get a, a better picture of your personal hormone pattern and that's how we know what kinds of things we need to be doing in order to kind of get things back in line. Mm -hmm. And what about an ultrasound? Could that detect PCOS? Yes. Yeah, so a gynecologist can do an ultrasound. And what they're looking for are cysts in your ovaries. And so if they see cysts in your ovaries, that's something that helps us to know this, in fact, is a problem for you. If we don't see cysts in your ovaries, though, it does not rule it out. So it can be helpful, especially if cysts are present. So if people look at these labs and say they have an elevated level of DHT or testosterone or their insulin is off or their LH is higher than their FSH, like you mentioned. And, you know, I know sometimes PCOS could be a little bit hard to diagnose exactly, but, you know, they suspect and they think that's what it is. What are some things that they could do to support their body? Yeah. So there's a lot, this could be the whole topic here, PCOS, <laughs> but, but briefly, you really want to do a good job with nutrition. So we want to cut out starchy carbohydrates and sugar in order to really try to get blood sugar under control, lower insulin so that it doesn't drive more testosterone because it's the testosterone and the dihydrotestosterone that are driving the hair loss. And if we can get insulin better, that stops pushing the testosterone level up. So healthy diet, cut out the sugar, lots of vegetables. Another thing that can sometimes be helpful is bioidentical progesterone because usually women with, or often women with PCOS don't ovulate. And if you don't ovulate, you tend not to make progesterone and you, you can sometimes end up being estrogen dominant. And progesterone as a hormone does lots of things. It's calming. Um, it helps to treat estrogen dominance. It also can help to grow scalp hair. Um, so that's a good side effect. Um, and it can help to make your periods a little bit more regular. Another one that can be really helpful is something called saw palmetto, which is an herb that helps to prevent you from taking your testosterone and flipping it over into dihydrotestosterone. And so if we can reduce the amount of dihydrotestosterone, that can actually help with some of the hair loss. So there's lots that we could talk about with PCOS. It's kind of a, a more complicated topic, but it's important to have a suspicion, to get the diagnosis, and then to work with a practitioner that can really help you get that under control. 
we'll definitely have you back and talk more about this in detail as well, because PCOS is such an important topic. Now, quick question on the supplemental, because that is a very popular supplement, I feel like these days, especially, and it's in a lot of the hair kind of formulas like Nutrafol and some of those other ones. So if someone, let's say, doesn't have a full lab work and they don't know if their DHT is elevated, is it safe to take something that has sulpamidol in it? Could it hurt someone if, let's say, the DHT is normal? You know, I don't think I would consider it dangerous, but I do recommend that if you're having hair loss, if you can get tested, then at least you know what to do because you could just be throwing your money away. Um, if it's a thyroid problem, which we're about to get to, sulpamidol isn't going to help at all. Um, you know, if it's from stress, then it's not necessary. So um, it, I recommend getting the hormone levels tested. If it's not a possibility, you know, if you don't have access to a test, I don't really think that it's dangerous. And, and um, I think that it, it's not something that we have to fear, but it probably, you know, it, it doesn't help if that's not your problem. Right, for sure. And those supplements can be pretty pricey. So that makes a lot of sense. All right, on to my favorite topic, the thyroid. Huh. Thyroid hormone is very important for running your metabolism. And we said that hair follicles are constantly growing, so they are very metabolically active. If you are low in thyroid hormone, your metabolism slows down. You get tired and cold and constipated and you gain weight and you often end up with your hair falling out because your body is just trying to conserve energy. And, and here, it's more than just hair falling out. Your hair can change. You can get dry, dull, lifeless hair. I mean, women notice, like it's not just that their hair is falling out. It's just, it's not the same as it used to be. And correcting a thyroid problem can dramatically improve how your hair looks. So this is one where we would look at a blood test. And if you're full blown off the deep end hypothyroid, the standard screening blood test will pick that up. But sometimes you're not full blown off the deep end hypothyroid. It's a little borderline. Or sometimes even it's not your thyroid gland that's broken, but your body, your cells can't use thyroid hormone properly because of stress and adrenal problem, nutritional deficiencies, gut health problems. And if you've got some of those other challenges, your thyroid gland can put thyroid hormone in your bloodstream, but your cells can't use it properly. So the inside of your cells thinks you're hypothyroid. You have all the symptoms, but that standard screening test looks okay. So a more expanded thyroid panel can be really helpful for us to know for sure if your thyroid is doing its job or not. And thyroid is so important for hair. For sure. And this is something that I think I really drill in on this show because we talk about thyroid so much. And, you know, I think my listeners know, but just in case someone may not be familiar, you know, a full thyroid panel is going to include a TSH, a total T4, a free T4, a total T3, a free T3, a reverse T3, and ideally thyroid antibodies, especially if you've never had those run to see if there's any autoimmunity. And we really want to evaluate all of that. And like you're saying, Dr. Deb, you know, there's all of these different patterns. You know, you have the elevated TSH, but it also could be that your hormones are just not being absorbed with high free levels, or perhaps it's a conversion issue where your T4 is fine, but your T3 is not. So there's so many kind of different things and avenues that it could be. So it's really important to evaluate that. And, you know, I have also just from personal experience, I have Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism and, you know, it's supported now, but back in the day when I was first going through school and doing a lot of my, my natural kind of education and nutrition school, I really wanted to do things naturally. And even though my thyroid was off, I didn't really understand then, you know, what I know now. And I kind of felt like, no, I could fix this naturally. It's okay. I'm not going to take a medication because I had this idea that, you know, medication is bad and all natural stuff is good. You're not, not realizing that, you know, not having enough thyroid hormone is a big disservice to the body. And um, when I finally got on a very small dose, I only needed about 50 micrograms, but I saw such a big change in my hair. I mean, it, to the point where, you know, I mean, we're going back 15 years now, but my hair had kind of stopped growing past my shoulders. Like it just never got longer than that. And my ends would get kind of like you were saying, it's not just 
the hair loss, but it's like the texture was different. It was drier and it was like, like I had these scraggly ends that I'd have to cut all the time. And it was almost like a nine day difference within just a few months on a small dose of thyroid medicine. What a difference that made. Yeah. And I kind of came the opposite direction because I also have Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism. I didn't know that. I do. And when I got diagnosed and I got put on Synthroid, which is like the standard treatment, it didn't change anything. Like my hair was still dry and dull. And it wasn't until eventually I learned about natural things that I got myself on a more natural kind of thyroid replacement therapy. And that's when I could really tell the difference with my hair. So you know, the standard treatment doesn't work for everybody. And so if your hair does not get better on the standard thyroid treatments, then it, you know, don't give up because it just means that you maybe need to find a different practitioner who has some more natural treatments. They can um, natural kind of thyroid replacement. I don't just mean herbs. I mean, it's a prescription, but um, but the desiccated thyroid. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think it's such a personal thing. And I was undesiccated for a while, but I was one of the few people that it made my antibodies worse. And I know it's not that common, but it can happen. And of course, you know, happened to me because <laughs> I have all these odd things. <laughs> but my yeah. antibodies actually went to like 5,000 from... Uh, Westroid, and as soon as I got on a synthetic, and I, I mimic, you know, T4, T3 combo of what the natural was, they went back down. So it's always interesting, but that's why it's so good to, you know, work with someone that is going to keep testing these levels and be able to monitor and see what's happening. And we're talking about Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune kind of thyroid. It's not the only kind of thyroid, but it is the most common. But of course, apart from just autoimmune thyroid problems, there are other autoimmune conditions as well. And autoimmune conditions are more common in women. There are things like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis and MS and all kinds of things. And oftentimes, women will develop autoimmunity in their body, meaning their immune system starts attacking their own body. And yet they don't quite meet the diagnosis to be labeled as lupus or something else. But in this time frame in their life where things are starting to go wrong, hair loss is one of the things that we see. And so if you're wondering whether you could be developing some kind of autoimmunity, kind of the screening lab test that we look at is called an ANA, which is an anti-nuclear antibody. And it's sort of nonspecific, but if your ANA is elevated, then it's a sign that you know we need to be getting to work at looking at what's going on with your immune system. But that is something that if you are having hair loss and you go to your regular doctor and specifically ask for it, that's one that they may be willing to do for you because that's a, a conventional medicine test. Yes, they may not be able to tell you what to do about it once it comes back. That's correct. But, <laughs> but at least you'll know and then you'll know you can go find a functional medicine practitioner. So really quick with the ANA, because I test for that a lot as well. Do you find that if someone has an elevated ANA and we know that there's some type of autoimmunity going on and it might not we may not know exactly what it is if we can't specifically find antibodies for, you know, MS or Hashimoto's or whatnot. But do you find that is the hair loss the effect of some of the inflammation due to the immune dysregulation? Or is it that it could be some type of an autoimmune on the actual hair follicles or something in the scalp? So it can be both. I would say for almost all the things that we've talked about so far, the hair loss is diffuse, meaning it, it falls out from everywhere. The only one that's a little bit different is the PCOS, where it tends to be kind of more like male pattern baldness, kind of more the temples and the crown. So for autoimmune, if it's just the result of inflammation and, and you know um, your body is generally struggling with its health, it will be everywhere. If it is autoimmune in the sense that antibodies are actually attacking the hair follicles, it is much more likely that it will be in an area. And so we call that alopecia. And that would be when there's like literally a bald spot on your head. And it can be for some women or any men too, it can be so bad that they can have what we call alopecia totalis, which is where every hair on their head falls out. So that's, you can imagine, terribly distressing and a very difficult thing to deal with. Yes. If the alopecia is a small spot, usually you can cover it with your hair, but sometimes it can be a big spot. Sometimes it can be multiple spots. And, and this is really problematic. So if you have an actual bald patch, that's when you really should go um, to be evaluated by a dermatologist. They can do a biopsy of your scalp. They can really help to make a proper diagnosis. Is it autoimmune fungal infections can sometimes cause you know a, a patchy loss of hair like that. So 
first of all, you really do need a proper diagnosis. And then if it is autoimmune, you know, then you can get to work with trying to get your immune system back online and um, reduce the inflammatory things in your diet. Sometimes there are conventional medical treatments that they try, things like steroid injections, which sometimes work and sometimes don't. And this is also where sometimes platelet-rich plasma can be helpful, which is where we draw your blood and we separate out the growth factors from your own blood and do little injections into the area of your scalp. And we've actually had good success at helping people to have their hair grow back uh, in these patches. Oftentimes, even with no treatment, these bald patches will grow back all by themselves. Um, but, you know, it's, it's really difficult while you're going through it. Yeah, of course. Of course. I actually know someone who got a spot from stress before his wedding. It was a male and, you know, it was pretty noticeable and it was on the side of his head and it was before his wedding. And then after the honeymoon, it grew back and then it's come back other times <laughs> during times yeah. of stress. Of course, because stress is stressful to your immune system and then whatever, you know, underlying factors are going on just makes it worse. What about genetics? Yeah, let's talk about genetics. So for men, we all know that men can have male pattern baldness. So if they have the gene for baldness, then they tend to lose hair mostly at the temples and right on the you know top of their head. For women, we also can get the gene for baldness, but it is not as strong. It doesn't affect us as much as it does for men. So when women have the gene for baldness, typically what happens is um, the thinning happens more slowly and it sort of happens, you know, as we get older. So for all of us, genes or no genes, our hair tends to get thinner as we get older, just like our bones get thinner, our muscles get thinner, our skin gets thinner. So that's why, you know, little old ladies often have thinner hair than they did when they were younger. And women on hormone replacement, actually, that can help to minimize that. Um, but if you are somebody who is genetically predisposed to hair loss, it can be more noticeable. Um, and you know, you can start to see the scalp kind of in the same general areas where we see it for men. It's, it's not quite as well circumscribed. So, you know, it's more like the whole top of the head as opposed to like a small little patch right at the crown. But this is a more serious problem. So this is not something where your hair was perfectly fine six weeks ago and now all of a sudden it's shedding everywhere. This has been a very slow, gradual hair loss that has happened over years. Um, you tend to, you may notice some hair coming out in the shower, but it's not the same kind of thing that you're coming in with baggies full of hair. If this is the case for you, there are things that can be done. PRP is something that can be helpful. We can use low-level laser light therapy, which um, like there's a, things like laser cap where you wear this little cap and the laser lights are lining the inside of the cap and they provide extra energy to the hair follicles in order to um, help them to do a better job making better hairs. There are prescription medications that I don't use in my practice, but that's what the dermatologists and the hair specialists typically would use. So one of them is minoxidil, which you can get over the counter, Rogaine um, at the grocery store, but it's very greasy. You have to put it on your scalp um, and it's not very popular because you have to use it ongoing. Otherwise the hairs just fall out again and it really does make your hair you know, greasy, hard to style. So it's not so popular. Um, but the laser light, light therapy and the PRP treatments really can make a difference. And with those, how often would someone need to use them? How many treatments would they need? So the laser therapy is something where you would purchase your own hat, your own gadget. And then typically what you would do is something like 20, 30 minutes, three times a week. And you just stick it on while you're washing the dishes or something. So um, it's a one-time investment, but then you have it for, you know, sometimes it lasts for, the, the gadget lasts for 10 years. Mm -hmm. So it lasts a long time. The PRP is something that we often recommend to do one treatment per month for three months because it's getting the hairs that are in different growth phases. And then typically people will come back maybe like once a year or something like that just to kind of um, add to it because the, the um, aging process otherwise you know, carries on. And, and I do want to mention hair transplants too. Hair transplants are a big deal and they're quite expensive. And this is, that's not really like you know, natural living that we want to be talking about here. But hair transplants really work. They do look natural. Um, they've come a long way. So for a woman who really has very serious hair loss, 
Um, and it's the point where, you know, you're wearing a wig, you know, you wear a hat all the time. A, a hair transplant sometimes can make a big difference. And so um, it, it's at least something to look into and not be afraid of. And just so people have an idea in terms of costs, you know, what would a hair transplant range about versus, let's say, one of those laser caps or the PRP treatments? Yeah, so a laser cap is under $1,000. So something in the general ballpark, about $800-ish. Mm-hmm. And it's a one-time purchase, and then you have it for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Now, with the laser caps, I'm assuming there's probably different kinds. And I know I've seen, you know, sometimes, you know, clients will send me stuff online, like, what do you think of this? Or what do you think of that? And there's like all of these contraptions out there. Is there something that people should look for that, you know, makes it more effective? Or is there a type of laser or name or something that you can suggest? Yeah, so the one that I recommend to my patients is the brand name is literally called Laser Cap. Mm-hmm. There is another company that is very similar called Capillus, C-A-P-I-L-L-U-S, I believe. The ones that I would not recommend, um, there's ones that are like a comb, and then you have to comb, you know, you, as though you're combing your hair, but then it's only it's only working on one little tiny part of your head at any given time. Um, so it's not really very effective. It's, you know, you have to sit there and comb it for a long time. It's very hard on your arm. So those two brands are the ones that um, I see more doctors recommending um, would be the laser cap or the capillus. Okay. And, okay. and this one has virtually no downside to it other than the cost. So if you're worried about your hair, if you're noticing that your hair is thinning, that would be something that would be perfectly fine to use. There's not really anybody that it would be dangerous for or not okay for. You know, there's not really any contraindications to it. And even if you don't have a serious hair problem, you just want thicker you know, shiny hair, it's, it's good for hair health. Mm, great. Great. And then what about PRP treatments? Um, is that something that's covered by insurance? And if not, how much do those typically run? Yeah. So PRP treatments are not being covered by health insurance at this time. Um, depending on the doctor that you go to, typically treatments run somewhere in the general ballpark of about $1,500. Typically, what I see most doctors recommending is a series of about three treatments to get you started. So it is definitely an investment. A hair transplant would be significantly more. So it depends how many hairs are being transplanted. That's how they determine what the cost of it is. But if things are bad enough that you need a hair transplant, I think that you're probably looking at something in the general ballpark of about $10,000. But you know, you would have to be evaluated because it depends on you and, and how much is needed for you. Right. Well, this is so helpful. You know, it's really nice um, for people to know some of these underlying causes, some of the things they could do about that, you know, and then if things are bad or if there are certain genetics that, you know, unfortunately there's not as much that can be done, there's these other things that are available. But I think it's really good to know that it sounds like for many of the hair issues, you know, there is something that could be done and there are solutions. And, you know, a lot of times it is temporary and we can support it. Right. Dr. Deb, thank you so much for all of this information and explaining everything so well and succinctly and, um, you know, making it very easy for people to understand. I so appreciate you being here again. Thank you. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share this because I think this is something that women are scared of a lot of the times and being reassured is important. Of course. And for people that want to connect with you or contact you, where can they find you? So my practice is signaturewellness.org. I also have a book on hormones. And if anybody would like to learn a little bit more about how to tell if their hormones are out of whack, um, the book is called This Is Not Normal, A Busy Woman's Guide to Symptoms of Hormone Imbalance. And you can get a free copy at isityourhormones.com. Wonderful. And I will post all of that in the show notes for everyone as well. Thank you again for being here and we'll talk soon. Great. Thanks so much. As you just heard, hair loss is very multifaceted. And it's so important to look at all of the areas that Dr. Deb and I discussed because it could be one or a few, or perhaps in some cases, maybe even all of those areas that could be the underlying issues. I will tell you what I did for Stacy in a second, but I just wanted to make sure that you have all of the information if you wanted to connect with Dr. Deb. You can find everything in the show notes on my website, healthmysterysolved.com, and you can find it under episode 61. Also, while you're there, you can now search through all of the available episodes by clicking the search button and you can enter your symptom or concern and it's going to pull up all the associated episodes. 
And for Stacy, her issue was a combination of thyroid, adrenals, which are stress-related, and hormones. She also had a few gut issues, but those were able to be resolved by fixing the main culprits. I ran a comprehensive blood panel, and I saw that her thyroid was not optimal. She was someone that had a normal TSH and a normal T4, but a very low T3, which is the active thyroid hormone. And by the way, for those of you who are a little confused about thyroid and what all that means, I have a very detailed episode describing all of this and explaining how the thyroid works. That was episode 27. So if you missed that, you can go back and listen to that and it'll give you all the information. Now, Stacy's doctors totally missed her issues because they never tested T3. So what we did is we worked on natural approaches to help her convert her T4 to T3 with thyro-CNV by Apex, also extra selenium, and a liver supplement called LVGB Complex by Designs for Health. Her blood work also revealed that even though her hemoglobin was normal, which is one of the most basic iron tests that doctors are going to look at, her iron saturation and her ferritin, which is the storage of iron, were way too low. So we added in one capsule of Ferrocal Iron from Designs for Health. This provides 27 milligrams of iron in a very gentle on the stomach and non-constipating form. I also ran a Dutch test and an organic acid test and saw that she had some more estrogen in relation to her progesterone and that her cortisol pattern was way off. We worked on that with a combination of lifestyle factors like reducing her exercise for six weeks and yes, you heard that correct, reducing because when the body is under stress, it can often see exercise as stress itself, especially if it's a more strenuous kind of workout like a boot camp or a spin class. I also worked on her getting more rest, taking more time to herself, and really balancing her blood sugar with foods. I gave Stacy calcium deglucurate, one of my favorite supplements for estrogen dominance, and Adrenovive by Orthomolecular to help her balance her adrenals along with methyl B complex and some extra vitamin C. We also found she was sensitive to dairy and eggs through a food sensitivity test, and so we removed these from her diet. We did this for three months, and about halfway into the process, she noticed less shedding. About four weeks after that, she saw tons of new growth. She joked that she felt like a little porcupine, but she didn't mind. It was so great to see all of the regrowth. After three months, we continued the clean and balanced diet, but we stopped the calcium deglucurate. We also changed her adrenal support from the Adrenovive to Adrenol, also by Orthomolecular Products, and added a supplement called HSN Powder from Designs for Health, which contains extra collagen, glutamine, and biotin, and this helps the new hair that's coming back to grow in thicker and stronger. After six months, she felt as if she had a new head of hair. It was thicker, but also smoother and a lot healthier looking. We were both thrilled. If Stacy sounds like someone you know, please share this episode with them and make sure you subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode. While everyone's triggers and underlying causes may be different, the more you know about all the possible causes, the more you will know about all the different areas to look into and then address. When it comes to your health issues, the answers really are out there. So you just have to know where to look. You can do this and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for tuning in and see you next week on Health Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.